handy, I'm going to look at this song tonight, and if you picked up an outline, you'll notice that I tried to arrange it, the lyrics of this song, by three different basic themes that I think we see in the song. I'm going to kind of go through it, and one of the things that I wanted to do this year, as uh, and obviously I'm not doing it a lot, um, but uh, throughout the course of the year, I want to take a song that is really talking about the idea of being more holy, becoming holy, etc., and kind of break it down and look at it. Um, obviously, I sort of took off on this basic idea in this morning's lesson. It takes time to be holy, and we're going to kind of hold that lesson in mind. But also, I just wanted to break it down and look at the lyrics of, of some of these common songs that we sing and and uh, I hope this doesn't happen, but once you sing something frequently, it can lose its impact. So I want to just draw attention to the song, think about some of the things within it. And while in the outline, I tried to incorporate every phrase from the lyrics and um, put scripture with it, uh, some of them a little more than others. I may not look at every single passage in the lesson tonight, but you're free, of course, to grab an outline and, and run those references. There are some things within it, such as the very first point that we'll look at, the take time to be holy, speak off with thy Lord. I won't spend much time there because that's actually going to be something that I really began to uh, address next Sunday morning in the lesson. So you can see I'm trying to, uh, to tie a number of these lessons together. All of that having been said, let's take a look at this and, and remind ourselves that this morning some of the things we were saying, you'll notice on the outline, I kind of put this in italics to quote myself, I guess, but it takes time to build and maintain a lasting, holy relationship. Emphasize that this morning, won't do it so again tonight so much, but holy in the sense that it is one that is different, special, lasting, a relationship you can keep. I think all of us understand the idea of broken relationships, relationships we once had, that for whatever reason we've lost. Um, the relationship with God, of course, is one we want to build and maintain. It's one we want to keep, and uh, it is one we want to last, of course, throughout all eternity. If we're going to be close to God, something else I said this morning, if we're going to be close to God, and you're going to have to be holy in order to be close to God, but if you're going to, it's going to require time. And I tried to emphasize that point both at the beginning and the end of the lesson. Relationships take time. You want a good relationship with your spouse, with your child, your parent, your friends. It takes time. At some point, you may have a good relationship with someone that you no longer spend a great amount of time with. Um, and maybe the analogy breaks down there. But the point is you did. And that's how it was forged. That's how you built it in the first place. It takes time. It takes diligence, uh, really staying at it. Um, you know, whole businesses and very successful careers are built on the idea of teaching married people what it takes to maintain a solid relationship, to maintain a good marriage. And in every one of those that I've ever known of, read about, or anything else, they talk about the effort that you have to put forth, the diligence that has to be put forth, until, at least, again, the relationship is solid and solid enough that it will endure whatever. So you're going to have to spend some time and some effort. And I will go 
further to say, especially in the beginning, until this becomes just, quote-unquote, a way of life, you're going to have to have a plan. Um, seems like more and more, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, it's because of the state of the world and where relationships are, but I'm getting asked more and more to, um, I won't say so much counsel, but just study and talk with uh, married people and a lot of times younger married people. And one of the things that you commonly hear is, I mean, we used to take for granted you're going to grow up in a home, you're going to see two parents that are married, you just kind of follow in their steps. You know, you, you learn from that, you do what they did that was successful, maybe you try to improve on that, you tweak it a little bit, but you're going to kind of follow suit. Well, we don't see that anymore. Marriage is not the norm. Good marriages are far more rare than that. So... What young people are perhaps realizing is, okay, we're married, now what? I mean, they're the normal things that go with marriage and, you know, and all of that. But if you want to have a great relationship, now what? And so more and more I'm getting asked to, to talk about that with people. And I believe that's because just the basic idea of relationship Maybe that idea is not what it once was in this country. And if that's the case, then that will transfer to people's relationship with God, where the relationship with God is not as strong, as dedicated, as even structured, if you will. There are these things that we need to do if we're going to have a good relationship. So we're going to talk some about that, not everything tonight by any means, but just to understand that it takes a, a practical plan if I'm going to be holy, and if I'm going to build and maintain this relationship with God. And I think that's what this song is saying, isn't it? Take time. It does take time. Well, then you take the time to be holy. And you'll notice they're very practical things. It does take a practical plan to be holy. You're going to talk some about this in some Sunday morning lessons, so I won't spend a great amount of time. But look at your psalm book and look at some of the lyrics. Take time to be holy. Speak oft or often with your Lord. Notice as he goes on to say in the lyrics of the song, feed on his word. Or later in, in the song, even spend much time in secret, which is the title of next Sunday morning's lesson. Speak often with your Lord. Feed on his word. Speak or spend much time in secret. I believe what you're talking about there is communication. And it's two-way communication. And we're going to stress that in a couple of, of sermons. The idea that there needs to be communication with God. Now, this comes in two forms. One is me talking to God. And then we call that prayer. And I think the song is talking about that. Speak often with your Lord and spend much time in secret. It's talking about prayer. And just as the Bible would say, if you'll turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses 17 and 18, the idea of always praying. Uh, verse 17, giving thanks to God about everything. And then verse 18, always continuing in prayer is the idea there in verse 18. Uh, and, you know, you can a lot of people have different ideas about what that means, you know, staying in the attitude of prayer all the time or whatever. But the idea certainly is to begin a life of communicating with God where you talk to God. And prayer very much is the idea of spending time in secret with God, talking to God. But there has to be the communication from God. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Blessed is he that 
hungers and thirsts after righteousness. If you look at these terms in the original, they are extreme terms. That is, you're dying of hunger, as we would say. You're extremely famished. You're so thirsty, you're going to die from it if you don't drink some water. Now, we're not just talking about then, you know, I haven't eaten since uh, two hours ago. (laughs) Or I haven't had a glass of water in 30 minutes. I'm thirsty. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the idea of an absolute necessity of feeding. And you'll notice how the song says it, and I love that, really. It's the idea of feeding on or grazing on God's Word. There is that picture, and I'm not going to do it tonight, but there is that picture in Scripture of our being the sheep of His pasture and the idea of feeding on what God has. So really, as a constant thing, And I said it this morning. I said, you're not going to build a relationship with God of dropping in every once in a while to a Sunday morning service. Now, that was not generally for the benefit of the Sunday evening crowd. Because you guys, you know, as I look out here, I mean, you guys are here week in, week out, and, you know, even more than just the Sunday services. That's not for you. But that is for people whose idea about religion is not even every Sunday morning. But an occasional Sunday morning. We had a couple of those people here this morning. I wondered what they thought about it. I didn't ask them specifically, and they didn't comment to me. But, you know, I could have easily said, you know, that was you I was talking about. And you know you need to be here. You should be here. And, you know, is there anything I can do to help you so that that you can be here? Because you need to. When this song talks about speaking often with your Lord and feeding on His Word and spending much time, it's talking about the idea of a hunger for that and a wanting to build that relationship. Think back to when you, whoever your best friend is, or your spouse, or whomever. But think back to when that was brand new and how much time you wanted to give to building that. How maybe you couldn't wait to talk to this person or share this thing out of your day. Or even if it was a child, a newborn child, and how the most, the focal point of your day, you know, might have been to get home from work and just sit down in a rocking chair and feed a bottle to that baby. Because that's the beginning of that relationship. I think we understand that. If we're going to have a relationship with God, it takes that kind of time. But you'll notice something else the song touches upon, a practical plan. Christianity is not just something, quote-unquote, in a vacuum. Make friends of God's children. Or another line in the song, Thy friends in thy conduct his likeness shall see. Now, I could say, I could go right here, and I could talk about how evil companions corrupt good morals. I don't think that's the thrust of the song. I think it is not looking at the negative, it's looking at the positive. And what relationships with fellow Christians can do. How valuable fellowship is, sharing time with Christians. It doesn't just have to be in a Bible class. Uh, Obviously so. I mean, you can be sharing time with fellow Christians in everyday life, quote-unquote, And just the way we interact in everyday life as Christians together in life is important. Notice what the song is saying. Make friends of God's children. Again, spending time, taking time. Your friends in your conduct, His likeness will see. 
Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says. And so a man, the countenance of his friend. When people see you living, and how you act, and how you do, and when you see them, you make each other better. Notice as the song goes on to say, though, looking to Jesus. I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Hebrews, and I want to read a couple of passages. I'll slow down for a moment at this point. But look at Hebrews 2. And I think it is very interesting. I have for a long time thought it's very interesting with what God, but through the writer of Hebrews, does with this quotation from Psalm 8. I'm not going to read all of this, but if you'll go to Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verse 6. He says, One in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest or takes care of or remembers him is the idea. Stop and think about that question for a moment. Who am I? Does God have time for me? Is God God bothered with me, so to speak? I know people that feel that way. Uh, Can't tell you the number of people, really, over the years I've talked to who may be about prayer or even coming back to church or whatever it might be. And people who would say, you know, God would never accept me. I've done this or I've done that. Uh, What am I? Who am I that God would listen to me? If I were to cry out to God in prayer, and I would say, I would say to God, not just forgive me, but help me. I'm thinking about a conversation I had early on a Sunday morning, way before Montel and I even married, at the church I preached to before I came here. And sitting there with that young man, and him just literally burying his head in his hands, and, and the tears, and God, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Who am I, and what am I that God would even listen to me? Well, that's what this psalm is saying. Notice that, and notice how he goes on with this. This is interesting to me. He applies this to Jesus. And it is in a context of talking about Jesus coming to earth as a man. It's very interesting how he goes on to say, Thou hast made him, notice, speaking of man here, in general, but he will get specific. You've made him a little lower than the angels. And then he'll apply this to Jesus, how literally Jesus is crowned with glory and honor and been set over all the works of God's hands. And all things have been put under his feet in verse 8. For in that, verse 8, he put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that's not subjected. And so, verse 9, we see Jesus. And then he begins to explain to you that that really was the right thing for God to do. Necessary. We may not understand all of that, but certainly we can understand the only way we are ever going to be able to relate to God is through Jesus. Now, I said that in the sermon this morning, and I believe that. But we can't relate to God, and we could not relate to God even through Jesus if Jesus had not become one of us. And that's what Hebrews 2 is saying. We see Jesus. What is man that God would ever even consider or take notice, especially a sinful man? Ah, but we see Jesus, and we begin to understand. Turn over to chapter 12, and notice how the writer comes back to this idea. In chapter 12, he's talking about cleaning your life up. He's talking about becoming more holy, even though he won't use that terminology. But notice chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. The idea of running with patience, the race that is set before us. The idea of... Shedding, as it were, the sin that so easily besets us. The idea of laying aside every weight that drags us down. And notice verse 2, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the beginning and end, however your translation says that, of our faith. Stop and think about those two passages for a moment. You may start with a question where you're thinking about being holy. Will I ever be holy? Who am I to think I could be holy? Who am I to think that I could ever approach God and relate to God? Ah, but we see Jesus. And the more I see Jesus, the more I believe the gap can be bridged. Not because I'm able, if we're looking and thinking of that picture I put up here so many times, not because I really think I'm able of climbing the mountain. No, but because God was willing to reach that. Because God was willing to send Jesus all the way down the mountain to get me. And that's the point. I relate to God through Jesus. So looking to Jesus, the song says, abide in Him always. Stay with Jesus. Sometimes I can commit a sin or go through a period in my life where I can drift so far away from God, I can believe. I would never be welcomed back in the sight of God. If you think about it like that, you will drive yourself, and I'm saying that the way I want to, you will drive yourself further and further away from God. But if you will think about Jesus, and you will think about what God was willing to do, and you will think about what Jesus went through to say, as I said this morning again and again, I love you, and I want you. If you will look at that, the more you think about Jesus, the more you will believe it is possible. Because if God would do that, what is man? Well, man is the height of creation by God. He is what God created to be with him for all eternity. How important is that to God that I, not just man, but that I personally be in heaven with God for all eternity? It is important enough to sacrifice Jesus. That's how important it is. So, looking to Jesus. And once you understand that, then you can help those who are weak. I'm mindful of the passage. I didn't put it on here, and I started not to mention it, but I think I'm going to go on and mention it even so. In Luke 22, you know, Peter boasting, man, Jesus, everybody else might forsake you, but I won't in any place. And we all know, I think we all understand what it means to fail and fail miserably. But I think about Jesus. This is the attitude of God. This is the heart of God. Peter, Satan wants you, and you're going to foul up tonight. And it's going to be bad when you foul up. But I want you, and I have prayed for you. Ever thought about Jesus saying, I mean, really thought about that. Man, Jesus praying for me? I prayed for you, Peter. And not if you're ever converted. If you ever crawl your way back. But I love the way the Bible says it. When you are converted. What's he saying to him? I believe the best about you, Peter. I believe in you. Yeah, you're going to mess up miserably. And you're going to mess up so bad and it's going to be written down. And people are going to know about it as long as time goes on. But when you're converted, then you're going to be in a position to help those who are weak. Is that being holy? Think about the lyrics of this song and where that writer went with it. It's brilliant. Help those who are weak. What does that have to do with holiness? Everything. Be different. Don't just be defeated by what you do and mess up so bad and get so far away. Don't just be defeated by that. But use it 
Is that something God wants you to do? Did God want Peter to go out there and deny Jesus and curse and swear that he didn't know him? Of course not. But he was going to do it. And when he did it and when he was converted, Jesus is saying, you take that and help your brethren. Help those who are weak. That's a great part of holiness. Seek His blessing. Be mindful of other people. You know, when we look in, for in the book of Hebrews, turn back a page or so to verse 24 of chapter 10. That's a great part of what being together in church is all about. Maybe we have this idea, this American idea of going to church, and what church is is kind of like that classical Easter Sunday View. You know, we all go out and buy a new outfit, and Mom has a new bonnet, and all of that. And we truck down to church on a Sunday morning on a nice spring day, and everybody compliments everybody's outfit and all of that. That ain't church. It's the trappings of American society. Now, it's, it's nothing wrong with, you know, me coming up or you coming up to me and complimenting me on a new tie or whatever which I have today, by the way, because my daughter bought one for me. But nothing wrong with that. It's just that what the Lord is saying in verse 24 is let's consider each other. Let's think about one another and provoke unto love and good works. Not forsaking, verse 25, the assembling of ourselves together. That's all part of it. We need to be mindful of other people. It takes a practical plan. That in that song, and a host of other things, but a structured plan where I know what I'm going to do on an ongoing basis. It's written down in my calendar. It's, you know, whatever you use to schedule the busy life you have, God and events that surround worshiping God and worshiping with God's people, etc., are a great part of it because it takes a practical plan to be holy. It takes time to be holy. Notice in this song where it says, the world rushes on. There's a passage in 1 Peter 4. Wes has read it and I've read it already several times this year. But it talks about where they think that it's strange that you don't run with them to the same excess they run. And that's true. The world is rushing on. It's rushing by. Nancy Reagan, a lot of you older people, she died today, right? I'm sure you saw that. The world rushes on, and it's got its events that are so important and the things that mean so much in life. And here you are, you are a Christian, and the world is rushing on, and you can get caught up in that. And I don't think it just has to do with all those things in life you shouldn't do that sometimes you do. I don't think he's just talking about that. I think he's talking about the idea in this song, if I had to guess... The writer is talking about how life is so brief and how we get so concerned with the events of life, the ongoing things I know I have to do, and it rushes on and it rushes past me and I don't take time in that busy life to be holy. And there's something else too in this song. Notice the line in the song that says, Run not before Him, whatever betide. That's an amazing line if you stop to think about that. That kind of jumped off at me, I don't know, several months ago when I thought about doing what I'm actually doing in this lesson. We were singing this song. And, you know, there are things that just hit you in a certain way. They never have. Well, that was one of them. Run not before him, whatever be, be time. 
And I thought about that. And I thought about the fact that it takes time to be holy. And what can happen, and I hope I can get this out very clearly, but what can happen, let's just back up and say it like this. I'm taking a long look at myself, and I'm saying, maybe I did this, uh, I hope you did it, at the beginning of the year. And I put up that picture, you know, this, this uh, or several weeks ago, of the guy standing and looking at his image in the mirror, and then asking the question, am I holy? And maybe a person at some point, or maybe different points in his life, really gets anxious about not being as holy as, as he should be. And starts thinking in terms of, man, I have got to straighten my life out. I've got to get my life right. I've got to be more holy. And he gets all frantic about that. Maybe it has to do with some sin. And a person is really looking at that and saying, that's got to change in my life. Or maybe he's looking at some big step in his life. A lot of young people, when they're thinking about getting married or whatever. It can be any of a host of things. But notice, run not before God is the idea. You can get frantic, and you can try to run ahead of God. You can try to do it faster than God's plan and God's time. The Bible speaks of that in a number of places. The idea of the Lord has His time, or in due time, God did so and so. At the right time, we might say, God did this. Even the birth of Jesus was at the right time. Even though we might look at different parts of history and say, boy, the world needed Jesus then. Well, God says, no, that wasn't the right time. And what God is saying to us is, I know what's right. I know the right time for things. I know the right circumstances for things. Don't get ahead of me. So a person begins to look at his life and is frantic about something, some situation, even some sin in his life, And he puts a timetable on it that, frankly, doesn't meet God's timetable. And then when things don't work out, then there's all kinds of mistakes that follow. Let me give you a quick biblical example. Abraham, I want you to have a kid, and through your kid, I'm going to bless everybody on the face of the earth. Sounds great. Only God didn't mean next year. And a few years go by. I mean, several. And Abraham comes to God and says, Well, God, how about Eliezer? You know, he's a servant in my house. And I mean, you know, what he's really saying to God without saying it is, I know you said this, but you haven't done it. And so now he comes up with a plan. No, Abraham, that's not the plan. So then Sarah comes up with a plan. How about you have a son by my handmaid? Great plan, right? So Ishmael is born. No, Abraham. That's not the plan. So then God himself comes to visit Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. What a joke. I'm an old woman. Never been heard of before that somebody my age had a kid. Well, you're going to. Because that's my time. And what you understand in that story, we, we can pick it apart and I'm not going to. But God had a plan. It's like God has a plan for you and He has a plan for me in different circumstances in our life. God has a plan. And if I try to run before Him, some things take time. It takes time to be holy. That's what this song has said. Don't get ahead of God. 
You know, just like with sin. And I understand what God would be saying and what God would be wanting out of us is don't sin. Peter, don't sin. Don't deny me. But God is looking at Peter in that whole situation and saying, but Peter, you're going to. So when you do, here's the plan. Well, as God, he said it to Peter, well, is he saying that to you? Or is it that because you don't do it fast enough, or you don't get there fast enough, you don't run ahead fast enough, then give up? I don't think that's what God is teaching us. And that's why I love this song, Take Time. I would even say it about this point, take the time it takes to be holy. And if I get that point in my head, then I'm going to be more holy all the time, I'm going to do what I talked about in that, in, in that picture, those arrows leading up the mountain, that's going to be me. And even like I said a couple of years ago, you remember that stumbling into glory? Some of you have remarked even about that sermon several times. The idea is that's the way you walk up a mountain. You don't just start out, eat a power bar, and climb Mount Everest. It doesn't work that way. You stumble and fall and you get up and you go on and you get skent up and beat up and you fall halfway back down to what you did already. That's how you climb a mountain. It takes time to be holy. The world rushes. You take the time and don't run before God. And lastly, it takes a proper guide to be holy. I can't just follow anybody and everybody and I surely cannot follow myself. If I'm going to be holy. I didn't start out holy. I'm not going to get me there. No, but the song emphasizes it doesn't. Let him, if you're looking at the lyrics of your song, let him be thy God. Thus, led by his spirit. Follow the still, follow the Lord, the song says. Trust in his word. All of these phrases out of this song are saying one thing, isn't it? Follow God. I want you to turn back with me to an interesting verse. I'm looking at 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. I kind of ran across this preparing this lesson. I thought it was really good. It fit really well. But look at 2 Samuel and chapter 22 it is. 2 Samuel 22, and I'm going to drop down to about verse 31 in this, in, in this passage. And you'll notice that David here, it's almost like a psalm that is not in the psalms. But look down at verse 31. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried or tested. He is a buckler to all them that trust Him. And we're buckler there. You probably have shield. Think about what David is saying in that song. David is saying, first of all, the Lord's way is perfect. Now, you can go out here and you can do all the things. David could even say it, you know, later in his life. You go out here and mess up like I have. You can do it your way, and what you will find is the Lord's way is perfect. And the reason it's perfect is because it's tested. It's tried. It's proven. God's way has worked. And it's worked again and again and again and again. Notice that what David is saying. The Lord's way is perfect. It's tested. And then how he goes on to say, He, God, is a buckler. He is a a shield, a defense for those that trust Him. And isn't that what it is? You know, when you're saying to... you got a little child, and they don't understand something. 
And you know what's best. You've been there, it's tested, it's proven, you're older, you're wiser, and you're saying to the kid, trust me. But they've got a hundred questions, a thousand questions about it, and they've got all these different things that, that they would do or want to do or whatever. Just trust me. And sometimes that's all you can say. Trust me, and it'll work out well for you. It'll go good for you. And if you do, you realize at some point, wow. It went well for me. Maybe you're coming in to your parents and you're saying, curfew. Come on, guys. Curfew? Nobody has a curfew anymore. And then you're at home safe and sound, and the kid that doesn't have the curfew is arrested or shot or caught up in some crime or whatever it might be. And whether you say it or not, under your breath, you're thanking God you had a parent that gave you a ridiculous curfew. That's what God is saying to us. God is saying it takes the proper guide to be holy. can't do it your way, Michael. It's not going to work. But my way does work. And then notice how he says in the song, Be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive brought beneath his control. If we go back to the passage that Ekon read, you'll notice the different parts of that section. And it's very interesting. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's what I tell you. Rejoice. Then he goes on to verse 5 and he says, Let your moderation, your self-control, etc. be made known to everybody. Recognize, remember, the Lord is near. The more you understand the Lord is always near, He's always watching, etc. The more self-controlled you will be. But then he says pray. And we're going to come back and talk talk about that next Sunday. So I won't spend time on that, but pray. And then he turns to this idea in verse 8 of meditation. And how all of these things, if it's good and it's virtuous and it's worthy of praise and so forth and so on, meditate on that. Think about what the song is saying. The lyrics of the song say, be calm in your soul. These are all things that you do to be calm. You exercise self-control. You rejoice in the Lord. You meditate upon the good. You pray and spend the time in secret. And all of those things will make you calm. They're very calming, all of them. And so once you do that, and you realize that now you are bringing your thoughts and your mind, your fears, etc., etc., under control because you're hearing God and following the proper guide from God, now you will be fitted for service above. It takes time, though. You're not just going to be a frantic individual, worried about everything, feeling like you're not good enough, etc., 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 and just snap your fingers and everything's going to be cool. It doesn't work that way. And so just like the psalm is saying, the song is saying, take time to be holy. I'm going to ask Ed to lead us in this song one more time, and then I'll come back and I'll give a quick invitation, and we'll be through the lesson. I really want you to think about the lyrics of this song as we sing it. That's 619. Six one nine. Take time to be holy, speak off with thy Lord.
Christian. But you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Tonight you are willing to confess that. You know that it will take time to be holy. If you want to call that repentance, it takes time to change your life from everything it has been to everything God wants it to be. In fact, it takes a lifetime. But tonight you're willing to repent. Your heart is changed and you want to serve the Lord. You'll be baptized to wash away all of your sins and begin your life with Jesus and taking the time to be holy. Here and you need to come. Won't you please come while we stand and sing?